Paul is writing to Timothy. He's in prison. He's facing certain death. He's facing execution. But he writes because he's concerned about their faith. Paul was worried about the Thessalonians whom he loved. And he wrote this from verse 2 of chapter 3. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ, of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass. And just as, as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. Because he was worried about their faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray as we open the scriptures and we talk about faith, Lord, that you will speak to us, challenge us, challenge us to be brave and to stand up for our faith, Lord God. Not just out there in the world, but also in our own lives, in our own walk with you, Lord. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Fantastic. So here's Paul in the last days of his life, preparing to step into eternity, worried about those he loved and their faith because he was under attack and he thought it might affect their faith. And isn't that wonderful when someone is, is dying and they're worried about other people and not themselves? That's how it should be as a Christian because death is a comma. It's not a full stop. You step into eternity as we've been looking over the last few weeks and, you know, the person who dies in Christ, nothing to worry about. But we worry about people back here. We worry about how their faith will be affected. And that's where Paul was at. He had a heavenly perspective. He knew where he was going. <laughs> he also knew he faced execution in the next little while. And he recognized that, that this, what he was facing could very easily affect the faith of his friends there. So today I want to look at faith and I'll particularly because I can see the Christian faith is under attack in this nation. Can you see that? And your faith is under attack. We are constantly, as Christians, demeaned in the press. We are called prejudicial, prejudicial bigots. Um, for some, some of us, that's a badge of honor. But, uh, you know, that's what we're called. Uh, we're mistreated when it comes to, to money and opportunities. And today I want to look at how the enemy attacks and how we can stand hold ground, and, and yes, even triumph over the enemy. 1 John 5 verse 4 says this, as we've overcome the world, even our faith. So our faith can overcome the world. Do you believe it? It really can. But it's got to be genuine. It's got to be the genuine thing. So what is faith? Best definition, you can look at it. People say, oh, faith is, oh, I believe in something. That's best definition's in the Bible. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. If you can see it, you don't need faith. I don't have to believe God for a car. I've got one. I can see it. I can touch it. I can drive it. I can turn the stereo on it really loud, right? But faith is when you can't see it, but you still believe God. And that's the key. Faith is the absolute surety that God will do as he has promised. It's what saves you in the first place, and it's what keeps you going when all around is dark. Now, the Greek word for faith is the word pisteo, which means to have faith, to trust, or to be firmly persuaded as to something. And how many of you know sometimes you talk to people, and no matter what you say, they ain't going to change? I'm going to prove this to you, and they go, yeah, but I still believe this. 
It's like that when I share the gospel with people. We can prove it from the scriptures. We can prove it from life. We can say, look at your life. It's a mess. You desperately need Jesus. And they go, yeah, but I don't believe that stuff. Whether you believe it or not doesn't change that it exists. Right? So faith is being firmly persuaded about something. And I'd like to think you could switch that around to our faith. Yeah, well, you should believe for this. Yeah, well, you know what? I believe. And nothing's going to persuade me of anything different. Some pastors would say that the word faith means a mental assent to believe so that you, if you can muster more faith and believe more and, and speak it out, you can speak it into being, and then therefore what you're praying for will definitely happen. That's not true. Because they miss one little bit in there, according to God's will. You have to find out God's will, and then you can stand on that. But you can't just go around saying, I want a new one of these, and if I believe hard enough and if I speak it out, it's going to happen, because that's not how it works. Faith is not for you to play with and get what you want. Faith is for you to become more like Jesus. Thank you. So in the word, the word in Greek, this pisteo word, faith, is always accompanied by action. It's not just you saying stuff. It's not just you proclaiming stuff. It's accompanied by action. It isn't always just thought or spoken. It is always followed through with obedience. That's what the word faith means. It means obedience. There's an action. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says this, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So the words you spoke were spoken out, but then your action followed it, and we don't, we don't have to say anything because it's gone out right around the world, not just your words. How many of you know mankind produces a lot of words these days? Millions, probably billions of words produced every day all around the world. And it amounts to zip, unless it's accompanied by action. So if someone believes something, regardless of what it is, that belief changes them and results in an action or behavior that's characteristic of the belief. For example, if you believe in the occult, you start to read horoscopes and believe them. Now, I believe there's more horror than scope in that stuff, but there you go. But if you believe in the occult, you do that. If you believe in climate change, you will have three garbage bins and buy solar panels and an electric car. So it's no good saying, I believe, I believe climate change is a big problem and our earth is... Not. It's no good saying that and then just chucking litter everywhere because you've got, you've got to follow up with your actions for what you believe. If you believe in humanistic values, that humans are the most important, you will water down morality to suit the loudest complainant. We're seeing that all around us. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will have faith in him and it should cause obedience to his word. As James said, James chapter 2, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Everybody say dead. D-E-D, dead. Not noted for my spelling. That word dead is the word necros, which means a corpse. So what he's saying is if you say you have faith and you don't follow it up with your actions, you are the walking dead. Have you seen that TV show? That's you. If you don't follow your faith with that, and he goes on to say, you, you have faith. So, someone will say, I have faith. Sorry, you have faith and I have works. But then James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. As Chuck Swindoll said, works-based theology uses this, quest, this equation. Faith plus works equals salvation. That's not true. 
Grace-based theology, by contrast, teaches this. Faith equals salvation, which results in works. Do you make the connection? So you are saved by faith, but works are the natural outflow of that. So why is our faith under attack? Why would the devil bother to attack our faith? Well, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 lays this out very clearly. Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Just in case you don't get this, faith, salvation is not by works, lest no one should boast. So no one can say, well, I've worked hard enough to, to be saved. No, you haven't. It's God's grace, God's free gift, gift to you. That is it. It's not by works. All you need to do is receive Christ this morning and you are saved. It's that simple. However, the very next verse, Paul goes on to say, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for those who love him. So, so you are saved by faith alone, but then you get the chance to, to show people that, to prove it by coming up with the good works. But you're not saved by your good works. It's the natural outflow of being saved. So Satan cannot steal your salvation. Once you come to Christ and say, you're Lord of my life, he can't touch your salvation, but he can touch your faith. He can attack your faith and he can bring you down. So Satan can't steal your salvation, but he knows that he can neutralize your faith. You see, he's not, he, he hates you, but he's just not interested in you. He's, he's interested in the whole world. And the, he's worried that a bunch of us will get together, discover the faith that we have, and transform the world. That's what he's worried about. So what he does is he neutralizes your faith. He takes your faith and says, how can I just wreck this guy's faith? And then, he, okay, he may not be in my kingdom, he may be in the kingdom of heaven, but he ain't going to amount to anything for God. He's going to be a big fat zero for the kingdom of God. Satan attacks our faith because that's how he can stop us bringing others to Christ and bringing glory to God. And if you are saved and not living a life of faith and obedience, you are useless to the kingdom of God and you need to change. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So we are saved by grace through faith that's it, we're done, we're saved. But then, why don't, we, why don't we live a life that brings God glory? Why don't, we, why don't we build our faith so that we bring Him glory? Is anyone with me? I think it's a great way to go. So let's look at how the enemy attacks our faith. You know how he attacks our faith? Any way he can. He's attacking some of you right now because he wants to take you out. The Bible instructs us to flee temptation but to resist the devil. 1 Peter uh, 5 verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Make no bones about it. You are a target. If you, if you become a Christian, you are a target to people. But I tell you this, if you triumph over this, you'll be a, an incredible blessing. But right now, you're a target. And then it says this, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering that you, you're experiencing is being experienced by the brotherhood around the world. See, newsflash, you're not the only one suffering. You're not the only one that stuff goes bad for. Everybody experiences this at some point. If you truly love Jesus, the devil will attack you. And you're not the only one going through it. 
and having your faith stretched. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the schemes of the devil. And he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, against, over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So the enemy is out to attack your faith. He's out to bring you down. And he does it in, in three ways, according to that passage in 1 Thessalonians. The first one is affliction. We don't like suffering. Do you like suffering? No, I don't like it either. Some people believe that God will never let you suffer. But that's not only untrue, it's unscriptural. Read your Bible. Everybody who was anybody in the Bible went through some kind of suffering. They just did. And the suffering made them complete for what God was doing in and through their life. It allowed him to create character. James chapter 1 verse 2 says this, Count it all joy, all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How many of you go, oh, fantastic, a trial, yay, woo. Not many of us do, am I right? James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be mature and complete lacking in nothing you see if if you face a trial and you triumph over that you become more mature and I often say to people age is compulsory but maturity is optional you're all going to get old but you're not necessarily all going to get mature because it's the trials of life that make you mature Satan will try your faith by afflictions. Let's make it clear, God doesn't do it, so don't blame him. Satan does it. But right now, some of you here are being attacked by Satan through affliction. It might be pain, suffering, a disease, a diagnosis. It might be lack of money, people talking against you, slandering you. Or it could be a feeling that everything is going wrong for you. How many of you say you feel that? Like one thing goes wrong, something else goes wrong, something else goes wrong, and then the next thing goes wrong and you kind of go... Yeah, that'll be right. True confessions, okay. How many of you, when something has gone wrong, you've looked at it and said these words, story of my life? Hmm? I do that sometimes. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes this. We are afflicted in every way, every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. If you can recognize Satan attacking your faith like Paul, you can choose not to be overwhelmed by the affliction, but to rejoice in it. You can make that choice. So the wine or the wine, that's my question. This week we're in Exodus and we were uh, reading the Bible, if you're doing the Bible reading plan. So in Exodus, the Israelites were thirsty. So this is this group of people <coughs> that have been rescued from slavery. They have seen plagues against Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea. They've witnessed pillars of cloud and fire. They've had manna from heaven and quail dropping out of the sky. And now they're thirsty. And so they, their default position should be, thank you, Lord, for all these miracles that you've done. I continue to believe you. But it's not... Because the default position is to whine and complain. How many of you like that? Notice my hand is in the air. Exodus 17 verse 20. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. 
And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? When you whine and complain, you test the Lord. You, you try his patience. Have you been with someone who's, who's patient, who, who, sorry, who whines all the time and tries your patience? You know, the stark lesson for us is this. When we are facing testing, affliction, pain, fear, anything else, the question, do we see disaster or do we see God's hand? Do we see the wine of the blessing of the Holy Spirit flowing through our life or do we just whine about the situation? Wine or wine? Whenever we face affliction, we also face a choice. And I have to tell you, I am changing how I view affliction and things that go wrong in my life. I am endeavoring to stop whining to God about how hard it is. How many of you have said, God, this is too hard? I'm the only one in the whole room that has ever said that. Oh, no, Nellie said it. Thank you, Nellie. Appreciate that. You and I. I'm changing. I don't want to whine to God. I want to be the wine of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm choosing to look at that situation and say, you know what, I'm not going to let that situation crush me. I'm going to look at it and say, this is an opportunity to stand for Jesus Christ. This is a moment where I can stand up and say, let my faith be counted. That's what I'm believing for. And that's the way I want to look at my trials. I don't say thank you, Lord, for the pain, but I say thank you, Lord, for what you are developing through the pain. I say, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for me to shine. Unless your faith is tried, you don't know that it's there. I believe in God until something goes wrong. And then I change my mind. No, no, no. We should believe God no matter what happens to us. Because we have a chance to show God what our faith is like and show people around us what our faith is like. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Our afflictions, our trials are opportunities to shine for Jesus. I remember years ago uh, when Fiona and I, uh, we, we went through a stage we lost, we had some great investments, owned a bunch of houses and stuff like that. We lost everything in the space of about a month. It was rather a shock. And uh, so we went from being millionaires to being debt millionaires, which is kind of the opposite end of the scale. And I remember that week... Uh, we were talking to some people in church and I said to them, because I, I just know God, I just trust God. And I said to them, okay, we've lost everything right now, but you watch this space because he's going to rebuild it for us. And that's exactly what he is doing still. And I could have said, oh, God's let me down. Oh, God, how can you let this happen to me? No, I just said, this is, a mo- this is an opportunity for me to shine for the Lord. Don't let the opportunities go by because you whinge too much. Okay? What's the difference between a Christian and a jumbo jet? The jumbo jet stops whining when it gets to the airport. We should not be that way, folks, right? We should not be that way. The second way that the enemy can attack our faith is by discouragement. And it can destroy your faith big time. You know, waiting for God to move... The lack of surety is often used by Satan to attack our faith. Sometimes it's death by a thousand cuts. You know, we believe God and we believe God for a day. Then we believe him for a week. Cut, cut, cut. Then we believe him for a month. Cut, cut. And then it's years and then it's decades. It's like I'm dying here. Death by a thousand cuts. It's just so long. And some of you here know that feeling. The Bible says in Proverbs, 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. Many times it's possible to have faith in the short term, but over time it fades away because it's just too long. Is this right? Can anyone relate to this? It's just too long. Oftentimes it's not even a trial. It's just waiting for God to do something. It's just the long persevering. You know, and after a while we feel tired and overwhelmed. But Moses gives us this advice in Deuteronomy 31. It is the Lord who goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged. Paul says this because he knew we'd fight against, against discouragement. Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I think that's going to be God's word to many of you this morning is to say, listen, I know you're believing for it. Your, your faith's getting a little tattered, you know, but don't give up. Don't give up. Your faith is being attacked by discouragement. And God wants you to stand firm. He is actively moving in your situation. So don't get down and don't give up. Trust him. Because sometimes he takes a little while to move the pieces where he wants. But you have to believe that God works all things for good even if it tries your faith. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Some, some of us here need reminder of this, that God does not delay. He is on our side. He is in our corner working for us and importantly, working in us. Romans 5, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Everybody say rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, I'm su- things are not going well. Oh, yay. Woohoo. Da, 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 da. That's brilliant. Why? Does God expect you to like pain? What is he, some sort of masochist or something? Of course not. He knows you don't like pain. He does, you don't like affliction. You don't like things not working out. He understands that. But what he's saying is, read the whole verse, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. You see, God can use tough times to build in us a faith that is unshakable. Isn't that exciting? No wonder you're rejoicing this morning. So don't give up, persevere. I, I remember uh, hearing the story of Bear Grylls. You know Bear Grylls, macho, macho, macho man. So he, he, amazing guy and a, and a very strong believer. He was talking about his time training for the special forces <clears throat> with uh, the UK special forces. And he said they were given full packs. They were asked to hike over this incredibly high mountain and down the other side in one night. It was stinking hot. It was steamy. There were mozzies everywhere. Climbs up over the mountain. They get down the other side of the mountain, a, a small group of them. They get to, and they can see the truck there that's going to take them back to the barracks. They go, oh, finally, they're exhausted. And as they get towards the truck, the truck just drives away. And a guy comes out of the bushes and says, okay, guys, you're halfway there. You've got to go back over the mountain to where you started. And some, some, some guys in, in the platoon, they just spat the dummy. They said, no, look, no, I'm done. No way. There is no, I'm exhausted. I'm not doing it. They whined and whinged and complained. Bear and a couple of others just went, okay, turned around and started trudging back the other, the other direction. You know, they came around a corner and there was the truck to pick them up. You see, what they wanted to know is who's going to break, whose faith is going to break here. 
It's a great story. I love it. They kept going, weary and discouraged, but they knew salvation was right at hand. They just didn't know it. So listen, if you are struggling in your faith, don't give up at 11.59 when what you're praying for and believing for is coming at 12. Don't give up. Persevere. The third way the enemy will attack our faith is temptations. Temptation is not wrong or sinful. It's, it's how you respond to it that becomes sin. The Bible says in James 4, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So when you're tempted, recognize your opponent. It's not the money itself or the girl or, or God or anything bad that's happening or the disease. It's the devil. The devil is the one who tempts us. Now James 1 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Don't blame God if you're tempted. And remember, temptation is not a sin. It's how you respond to that that is potentially a sin. But then James says this, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, the enemy will tempt you, but you have to resist him. Because if you give in to that desire, it ultimately leads to death. This attack on our faith often comes when we're on top, when we're successful, doing great. And dare I say, you get a bit complacent, you get a bit arrogant. If you are successful, if you are feeling good in your faith, beware. Because that's when temptation often comes in. Got the sad news this week of, of, I think, the biggest, one of the biggest churches in Melbourne, probably the biggest ACC church in Melbourne, where the senior pastor has just had an affair with a girl who was a prophet on his team. The whole thing, they've had to step in and stand them down and all this sort of stuff. Beware temptation when you're on top. Beware. It'll come to you anytime, but when you're on top, beware. So this is how our faith stands under attack. Who wants to know how, to, how your faith can stand? Okay, I'm going to give you a four-step program of how we can stand. And if, you're not, if your faith is not being tempted, trust me, it's a coming. Because the devil will always attack in this way. So the first way, the first step is to step back and recognize that Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 6 verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, etc. We are not fighting what we think we're fighting. Step back and see the big picture, you're fighting Satan. If you are having problems with your wife or husband, don't blame them and don't hate them. Step back and realize it's a satanic thing, right? We fight not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities. So if someone is giving you a hard time at work, step back and don't hate them. Realize there's something behind what they're doing that is attacking your faith. The devil is trying to bring your faith down. And if he can neutralize your faith, he can minimize your life for Christ. So get ready for it. It will come. The second thing is to step up and accept responsibility. Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, When a man brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. How many times have you seen that? Oh, God's punishing. God's doing this. God's doing that. You know, I'm dependent on drugs because God's doing this. No, he's doing nothing. You made a choice. And if you don't accept responsibility for that, you'll never get out of that choice. In the Message Bible, that same verse says this, people ruin their lives by their own stupidity, so why does God always get blamed? I like that. That's very straightforward. 
you, you make dumb decisions. See, destiny is not something that floats around and hits you occasionally. Destiny is a series of choices. Your decisions determine your destiny. And so if you make bad decisions, don't be surprised that your life is bad. The take-home message of this is this. Change your decisions. Make good decisions and suddenly your life will be good. Because it comes down to the decisions you make. We live in a world where everybody blames everybody else except themselves for everything they do. My upbringing, my friends, my bad luck, God. If, if your faith is under attack, realize, first of all, who's attacking you. And secondly, realize that you play a part in that. And just look, God says, you know, don't cover up your faults. Own up to your sin and let me cover it over with the blood of Jesus. Right? So, so if you are struggling with your faith, just recognize I'm struggling. It's okay. We don't expect you to be six foot high and bulletproof your whole life. Everybody has moments where they struggle. We need to be honest enough to say that. So that leads to, to step three, which is to stand aside and be transparent. In the pandemic, you remember the pandemic all those years ago, you know, COVID-19 and all that sort of stuff. In the pandemic, we all had a big reaction against wearing masks, didn't we? Well, I hated it. I think it's terrible. And we, you know, there's all these people saying, you know, you're rebreathing your own stuff, all that sort of stuff. But listen, Christians were wearing masks long before COVID-19. We were turning up at church and people say, how are you going? And we'd say, Great. When inside we're falling apart. So let's be honest, right? We, we need to be honest. We need to be transparent with one another. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. James 5 16, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We need to confess to one another. And if you're struggling with your faith this morning, I do not want you to sit there saying, I'll be right, mate. I'm an island. I'm a rock. Just confess. Look, I'm struggling here. Because if you can be honest and open about it, your life will change forever. Transparency is the key. You don't have to be perfect all the time. You're not fooling God and you're probably not fooling a lot of people around you. Just be honest. I'm struggling. It's all you need to say. And of course, step four is to step in and join your faith together with others. If your faith is under attack, you should open up and share your struggles with other believers because our faith is amplified when we join with others. You know, so often I see this. I have to confess, I see this all the time. People are struggling in their faith. They're really having a crisis of faith. And what do they do? They disappear. They don't come to church. So if someone's not been in church for, for two or three weeks, if I call them up and say, hey, are you okay? You're oh, not really. Right. So why do we want to isolate when everything goes back? Why don't we reach out to people and say, can you help? It's our pride, isn't it, that stops us doing that. But why, why should we isolate? Because I'm telling you, if we join our faith together, we are stronger. We are better together. 
So, so often I see people isolating from church, but that's exactly what the enemy wants. If you're pulling away, if you're online listening, say, I'm just going to watch online because I don't want to fellowship with people so that they can see my lack of faith. You know, just get rid of that stuff and join in because we are a community. And two are better than one. If you pull away from church and from the community who loves you, you stand alone in the onslaught. Ephesians 6 verse 16 says, this is the armor of God, you'll know it well. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. The darts of the evil one are aimed at many of you and testing your faith right now. Maybe it's in business. Maybe it's in your family or your your marriage relationship. Maybe it's in money. Maybe it's a lack of a job, lack of home, uh, a, a decent place to live. Maybe it's in the people that you love and trust who are letting you down. But your faith, if it's being attacked, put on the armor of God. And the most important bit is the shield of faith. Now, the shield of faith, we need to understand when, when Paul called us or when Paul called us to put on the armor of God, he was thinking about a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers did not use their shield in isolation. They didn't go out as a bunch of guys scattered all over the place with a shield and a sword. The Roman soldiers did this with their shields. They locked their shields together across the front, down the sides and across the top. Then they'd poke spears out the front and they'd attack. It was kind of like a, an ancient tank. Like this. Can you imagine being an opposing soldier and seeing that? How are you going to get through that? That's how they use their faith. And it's, oh, sorry, use their shields. So the Roman shield was joined together to form an impenetrable barrier to attack. It's called the tortoise for obvious reasons. Because you taught us what, that, what it is. Yeah. Your faith, oh, sorry, dad jokes. But your faith is stronger when you join it with others. That's the point. So take responsibility, become transparent, and join your faith with others. We're not designed to stand on our own. That's why we have church. I had a, a woman in to my office this week, and she, she found out I was a Christian and a pastor, and she immediately went on the offensive as to why we don't meet on Saturday. And I said, well, we just meet on Sunday like the rest of the church. And she said, oh, no, you've got to meet on Saturday. And she really hammered this thing. She was completely obsessed by it. I said, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Whether you agree, I, I said, I don't even get Sunday off anyway. I've got to take another day. I work every Sunday. And she, but she was so obsessed. I said, which church do you go to? And she said, oh, I don't go to church. <laughs> Hello. You see, we've got to go to church. Then we don't get abrinance. We, you know, we can pull together because our faith builds one another up. Our collective faith as church, it's like a fire hydrant. Have you seen a fire hydrant? It's maybe this high, this round. You think, well, that's not very big. But if a fire comes, it produces this incredible gush of water that they can use to put out the fire. How does it do it? It's only a little thing. How does it do it? Here's a hint. There's a pipe underneath that feeds into it. And the, the water that it produces is not from it. It's flowing through it. And that should be the same with our faith. We should be able to produce a flow of, of faith far greater than our size is because the one who is in us is greater than us and he's also greater than the world. It flows through us and is an endless supply. Ultimately, it's not about our faith so much as the one our faith is in. So... I'm calling you this morning to stand. 1 Peter 1 verse 7 says, Test the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't despise the testing of your faith. Embrace it. See it as an opportunity to shine because the final product is worth all the pain along the way. I know many of you are believing God for healing. Fiona struggled with her with arthritis for about seven or eight, ten years in her fingers, her wrist and her shoulder. We were at a conference last year in May and we went forward. For, it was an appeal for something else. I didn't even know what it was, can't even remember. We, we only made it halfway down one of the aisles and she raised her hands and was instantly healed of arthritis. Now, why didn't God do that seven years ago? I don't know. She wasn't even asking for that. She, God just healed her. God can do it. We have to just trust him. He's got a plan and a timing. And we shouldn't be telling him when he should do it for us. Just trust and believe him. And your faith will be built up. So gold is heated by fire to become the final product. This is the ancient process of refining gold. We sang refiner's fire. This is what it's like. They heat it up. All this black stuff, dross, comes to the, the surface. Right? It's a bit like this. And then they scrape the dross off, the, the, the impurities. And then, fantastic, it's pure. No, it's not. Let's heat it again. So they heat it again. More stuff comes to the surface. They scrape that off. Let's do it again. Up to seven times they will heat this and remove the impurities. And then if you say to the ancient craftsmith, how do you know when the gold is ready? He'll tell you this. When I look into it and I see a reflection of my image in it. How does Jesus know when you're ready? When he looks at your life and he sees his own reflection because you are so Christ-like. You see, when we go through trials, it's not to ruin your faith. It's not to hurt you. It's not, it, it is to build something of eternal value in your life. And if you keep believing God, I can give you from my own life testimony after testimony of God doing amazing things because we kept going and we didn't give up and we kept believing God. So don't let your affliction or whatever's happening in your life or how long it's taking or any temptation change the fact that God is working in you. And I really mean what I said about transparency. We sit here, we are, you know, Anglo-Saxon Australians like she'll be right, mate. Even if our world's falling apart, she'll be right, mate. She ain't right, mate. Many of us are falling apart. And if we are transparent and say, Lord, I admit that I'm falling apart and I want someone to stand with me because when we join our faith together, we are better. That's why we have an inner healing ministry because there's people standing with you and it is changing people's lives all over the place. Why? Because they're, they're being transparent and revealing themselves and God is building faith through that. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that lasts for all eternity. That's your destiny. Would you bow your heads? If you are struggling with your faith today, I'm going to ask you to be transparent. I'm going to ask you to have a good look at your life. Is it the life you want to live? Is it the life that you always dreamed of? And if it's not, then your faith is being tested. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, this all changes when you ask Jesus into your heart.
It's not just words. It is a life-changing moment when you say, I can't do this by myself. Lord, I yield my life to you and I'll let you sort me out. And when you do that and when others stand with you, your life will be transformed. Not only do you get to go to heaven, but you live with heaven in your heart right here. So if you've never asked Jesus into your life, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And this is your moment. Say, Lord, I yield to you. I give it all to you. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, or maybe you did it before and you're not sure, let's change it now. Say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that I am not perfect. But right now, Lord, I ask you into my life. I yield my life to you. And I I declare you are my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and build life-changing faith in me. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe it's the first time in a long time, wherever you are, I'm just going to ask you to shoot your hand up for me. Just give us a wave. Yeah, are there any others? Some of you think, well, I pray that every week. That's cool. Happy for that. I don't care. You can pray it a hundred times. As long as you're saved, I don't mind. Are there any others? Okay, good. Now, for the rest of us, If you are struggling with your faith today, and I know that many of you are, let's be transparent. Let's not hide away. Let's continue to believe God, that God will prevail. See, when I read my Bible, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When I read my Bible, it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. So whatever you're facing now, I guarantee you that God is bigger than your problems. Way bigger. Don't fight the battle alone. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to pray this with me. If you're struggling with your faith, if you feel under attack, if you feel worn out, if you feel discouraged, this is your moment to say, Lord, I yield it to you. So just say these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus, my faith is under attack. But right now, Lord Jesus... I choose to yield my life to you. Work within me. Build my faith and my character. I put my eyes on you and turn away from my circumstances. Let's stand together.